This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, a who's who of Tongan players assemble for the Akali Tahis milestone clash with Australia A in Nukualofa. This would be the best Akali Tahi team and it includes a lot of the names that are now actually able to play for Tonga. So it's really a dream come true. Also, the Kaivete Silk Tails push to make finals in the New South Wales Ron Massey Cup. And the New Zealand football ferns carry the hopes of Oceania into next week's FIFA Women's World Cup. If this format continues, it means each World Cup cycle, another team really does have a, a genuine opportunity. And All that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans. So glad to have you company. But first, efforts to strengthen Papua New Guinea's bid to join Australia's top rugby league competition, the NRL, will commence in the coming week. A corporate dinner is scheduled in the coming days to drum up investors and sponsorship for the proposed club. Meanwhile, the unveiling of the country's first ever junior youth academy will be unveiled on Monday. Despite partnership offers from clubs in Australia, CEO of the PNG NRL bid, Andrew Hill, says the team will mostly be PNG owned and operated. However, he didn't rule out partnering with an external club if need be. There's no doubt that the PNG government will be financially supporting the bid. This bid has come from the office of the Prime Minister and and the government of PNG. So the first one is definitely government of PNG. The Australian government have made comments around their desire to support um, and in particular strengthen the bilateral agreement between PNG and Australia and of course sport and in particular rugby league which is the national sport in PNG is a vehicle for, for that to occur. So I'm sure that the Australian government will provide some support. You know, next week we will have the business leaders of PNG invited to our first corporate dinner. And that will be the first opportunity that we've taken to introduce the bid to the business leaders of PNG. Again, we've taken our time. We haven't rushed into it. And, you know, the business community in PNG is very large. For those people who haven't been to PNG, there is some significant industry there. They love their sport. And rugby league is more than just a game. I know that can be a a line that every sport uses. You know, our sport is bigger and better than everyone. But PNG, the country is renowned for its passion for rugby league. And the people can see that sport is so important to their community and how rugby league affects people in PNG. It provides a positive environment. It certainly makes people happy. And in particular, when the hunters win or the kumuls or the orchids win, you can see how happy that makes the people. It unites people. And it'll put PNG well and truly on the map across the Pacific. And potentially for the first time, PNG will be an equal to Australia and certainly will be on a, on a sporting field if we're given an NRL licence. So it very much sounds like the plan is to ensure this team is predominantly PNG owned and operated. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think any successful franchise in world sport has to have a belonging. It has to, it, there has to be a, a home. There has to be a home base. And that will be, in our case, PNG. We're still very much open to discussions around PNG, PNG Pacifica, locations. And we've got plenty of time to continue to, to look at different models, to look at locations. But you're definitely right, Cole. I mean, th- this will be the people's team. 
the people of PNG predominantly. And broadly speaking, it will be the Pacific because it'll be the first team outside of Australia and New Zealand. It sort of brings me to my next question. You know, there's there's been a lot of people, a lot of franchises who've come out and put their hand up who want to get in the competition. We've heard the North Sydney Bears pop up. I know the Brisbane Tigers would love to put in a bit of some sort. There's the wider Pacifica in general with places like Samoa and Tonga. Will this bid consider any partnerships with any other entities like that? Yes, as you can imagine, the phone rings hot on a monthly basis, the new concepts, new ideas. And whilst everyone's still waiting, of course, for the Australian Rugby League Commission to establish some framework and some timelines, there's been lots of sideline conversations. Our focus primarily is to ensure that there is NRL content coming to PNG. That's our primary focus. Now, we think we are in a very healthy position with strong pathways. Of course, the Hunters have been in the competition now for 10 years. They've won the competition in the Queensland statewide competition. Of course, even last weekend, we saw two Kummels make their NRL debut, one in the Dragon squad and one in the Titan squad. So there's a continuation of players coming through. But of course, if the only option for NRL come to PNG was to work with other partners in the Pacific or another bid, we would certainly be in a position to look at that. But right at the moment, I guess our focus is on providing this opportunity for PNG to have their own team in the NRL. 2026, that's the year that the NRL want to bring in a new team into the competition. Are you on track to meet that? And I guess what are the biggest challenges around that? It's a good question, Cole. I think we're certainly on track to continue the conversations and, and get ready. In terms of a date from you know, the NRL, I don't think anyone set a clear timeline. And of course, the broadcast conversation will be the most significant in terms of funding the expansion of the competition. What we do know is that Peter Landis and the Australian Rugby League Commission board have certainly said that they will be expanding to at least 18 teams, if not more, in coming years. So that's the first hurdle. It's not a matter of if they're going to expand now, it's a matter of when. The focus from the Prime Minister of PNG has been to have a decision by 2025. 2025 is very significant because it represents the 50th year of independence of PNG from Australia. Prime Minister Marape has given an early birthday wish to Prime Minister Albanese and Peter Volandis, and that is to gift the people of PNG an NRL team and make that decision before 2025. We had the Kummels coach Stanley Teppen on the show recently to talk about some of the, the things they've got to work through around this. One of them was obviously making sure PNG is, is safe and, and livable for players and coaches who, who might consider, you know, uprooting their lives and, and going to, to live over there. What kind of things are, are you doing around, or I guess, convincing the NRL that it is a safe and livable place? Yeah, certainly we had Kate Jones um, visit Port Moresby a couple of months ago with the Australian government in a trade delegation. And that was the first time that Kate had been to PNG. And I think she was pleasantly surprised to spend three days in Port Moresby. We showed her four or five of the hotels and some tremendous stadia that the government has built in the last number of years. And of course, that's the continuation and that will be a work in progress in terms of building a sustainable environment to house an elite sporting team, both men and women's team. Our primary focus right at the moment is to develop the pathways for the players, ensuring that the model that we can provide for young boys and girls living in PNG is on par with an NRL club. I've been fortunate to be involved as CEO of two NRL clubs, and I've spent some time in the last six months showing the other leaders in PNG rugby league 
what an academy model looks like. We've had Joe Grimer appointed in PNG, and Joe started a month ago. Joe was the head of player development and coaching at the Parramatta Reels. Of course, a very big junior base. They, in fact, won the under-19 competition this year. And so Joe started now on the ground. We've announced our first ever academy in PNG, so the first ever talented player academy for under-14 and under-16 age group. That'll commence on Monday the 17th of July, which is incredibly exciting because, you know, Joe sat and watched a lot of football over the last six weeks and identified 78 players to join that squad. And his initial thoughts are they are athletically on par with the Australian player at the same age. Now, that's a big statement, but athletically what he sees in the school competition there is equal on many cases to, to our uh, young boys and girls, but of course where they've been let down is is coach education and, and the well-being and the general education of being a professional sports person. So absolutely biggest challenge in, in my opinion will be to turn what is enormous opportunity and, and player path in PNG to turn that into an NRL pathway. And I suppose not just a pathway within PNG, but I guess if the team does get up and running, that pathway would be expected to be the pathway for other Pacific countries like Samoa and Tonga as well. Would that pathway eventually expand out to those areas? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we've said all along to the NRL and to the Australian government, you know, we would be happy to take a game early on in across the Pacific, happy to help lead the promotion of the game in, in Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Cook Islands. You know, the NRL talk about the mass number of representation of players across the Pacific. I think it's well into the 40% now. And, of course, in, in recent years, we've seen the success of Samoa and, and Tonga in, in rugby league World Cups and, and rugby league tournaments. So PNG is certainly a leader in the Pacific. And whilst they haven't had the success on field as Samoa and Tonga, they certainly have vast resources available to them and they certainly have a huge population. And, and I come back to the need to get more coaching into PNG and the NRL bit have, have started that. We've made our first staff appointment and we'll continue to add more staff. And I think we'll see in the next two or three years once they've got that coaching uh, and the right framework, there, there will be success. And look, I've got to thank both the Australian government and the NRL, along with the PNG government, um, who have provided the opportunity to bring the Australian secondary schools rugby league team, both boys and girls, to PNG this year. They will come to PNG in September and play against the junior Kummels and the junior Orchids team. And that will be the first time we can see where our young boys and girls are up against the very best of, of Australian NRL junior players. That was Andrew Hill, CEO of the PNG NRL Bid, speaking to me there. Very much echoing comments from Justin Olam a few weeks ago when he called on PNG to focus on player development at the grassroots. And we'll endeavour to explore that PNG Youth Academy a bit more after it opens on next week's show, hopefully with uh, Joe Grimer, who's been charged with facilitating that project. Now, staying on Rugby League, where after a slow start, the Kaivete Silktails remain in the finals picture with three games to play in the New South Wales Ron Massey Cup. They sit sixth and will need to win at least two of their last three games to book a spot in the top four. The good news is two of their last three games will come at home, where they've gone unbeaten this season. 
The bad news? All three remaining matches will come against top four clubs. The first being the Eastwood Hawks on Saturday. Coach Wes Nagama spoke to Pacific Beat presenter Aggie Tupol on where his team is at heading into the final stretch. We've, we've only lost one game at home. It's, it's, a, it's a big advantage uh, playing at home. You know, it's, as a club, we haven't been able to do it. Um, since we come into the competition in 2020, we only had the round, round one before COVID um, ended that season. And then for the next two, two years, we, we had to be in, in uh, relocate to Sydney. So um, and then be able to relocate back to Latoka has been, been great for the, for the club itself. You know, it's sort of establishing itself in the community and building its supporter base. Uh, all our wins have been at home. We, we still haven't been able to win one. On the road, which is something we're still working on. I'm, I'm thinking just by looking at the ladder board and predicting where we finish, if we can uh, win those next two home games, so, you know, that they, they will much lock us uh, in the top five. Do you like your team's chances at really making the finals? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, this, as I said, that, that month just instilled a lot of confidence within the boys. Um, you know, they've um, it's taken us time and it's all started to click uh, with, with their combinations and uh, you know, the winning formula to games in, in, in regards to mentality and attitude and how you apply yourselves in the game. You know, we, have, we definitely haven't ruled ourselves out. We we obviously knew that the, there was a really good opportunity there on the weekend. Um, but, yeah, this week's probably come at a really good time for the boys just to reset, uh, you know, go home, clear their heads. So, you know, it's been a, been a long sort of, um, you know, period, that long season with, with the boys getting used to the week-to-week grind. So there's been a lot of sort of battered bodies. Um, so I think this this week's come to a really good time, you know, and then we can make that chart that's in the last um, three weeks of this competition. Mm. I mean, being up against the top three teams, considering you will have those two remaining games at home, yeah. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's you know, that 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 sort of you know well, when we sort of talking preparing for teams, we yeah like we don't really take much notice of the, the opposition. Like we'll obviously do a bit of homework on them, but um. We know that if we're performing anywhere near our best and, you know, hitting our, our targets with, um, you know, with our goals going into games in regards to our, you know, our attack and our defence, um, you know, we can we can take it to any team. And um, that's, that's that's a good thing about going around twice. Every, everything that we've done, you know, you, you do around the second time around, uh, the boys are better prepared for it. Uh, in this season, we've knocked off, you know, a lot of the top teams that, are, that have been above us or, you know, that were in the finals last year, so... Again, it's not opposition that the boys sort of um, fear or anything, but you know they just they just um, know to prepare well and we we're anywhere near our best that we could compete against um, you know the top team. Where's you know of course the reality is for a lot of those boys they have uh, the NRL dream. Um, I know there's the NSW come also. I mean, are the boys on track to be able to to break into uh, those competitions and those teams? We got a really young squad. Um, in 2020, when we first came into the competition, we operated as an open age team. And then last year, in the last year, we decided that we'd go under 23s model. So, you know, there's, there's still really young and raw. Um, you know, for the boys that we've signed here, potentially if they, if they don't get anything next year, they can stay on here for another year. Um, you know, we, we, we like to keep them done, tap talents there. And with the program that we provide uh, and their daily teachings and the coaching in that part, um, if that does happen, you know, they're better prepared than what they would be if they were just to be picked up here by scout and put in the NRL system. So, um, and I think it's it's a really good uh, for these young boys to, you know, to be in our program and to be playing in the competition week in, week out to get that exposure, um, you know, but 
we've had some really good outcomes the last the last three years. We've always moving on to get in our real contracts. You know, in our real debut, a couple of uh, Butty test test jerseys as well. So um, you know, I think we're doing the right thing. But it's um, the thing that I keep telling these boys is um, you, know, you, you want to. You want to do as good as the best you can for the club first, and then uh, you know all, all good things will come off the back of that. Yeah, what's exciting is also you know reading up about uh, other pathways that have been created for the players. I hear you've got some training in regards to youth work. Yeah, yeah. We, so last year we went to the training, uh, study, and play program. Which, as much as we want to make these boys the best footballers, make them you know rounded players and to focus on, you know, things outside of football and life after football. So, um, you know, we did it last year and we did it this year, um, you know, through Verdo um, and the help of NRL Pathways. Uh, we got the boys enrolled in a in a cert for youth. Started a month ago. Um, they they study uh, three days a week um, on top of training. Uh, that's, um, you know, that will tie in with what the club's doing. We're going to um, um, unveil... Um, our youth program, our community youth program that we're going to be starting next year. So once these boys are all qualified um, and they stay on next year, they'll all be sort of doing 20 to 30 hours working um, in the youth program on top of training. So, um, you know, it's, it's really good in regards to just making these guys well-rounded and, you know, taking their mind off football and studying because, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, football doesn't last forever or not all these boys will go on to, you know, get their NRL contracts, but if they do when they do come out of the program, you know, they've got qualifications behind them. Yeah, Silk Tales coach Wes Nagama speaking there with Aggie. Meanwhile, in the Queensland Cup, the PNG Hunters actually find themselves uh, in a similar position um, as the Silk Tales with four games still to play. They currently sit 11th and would probably need to win all of their games if they've got any chance of making the top eight. A bye this weekend won't help, but the, co- uh, the post-courier sorry, say they'll likely regain a couple of key forwards in Junior Rop and Sherwin Tanabi from injury when the club returns to the field in a fortnight's time. It's Friday, July 14, and you're listening to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Happy Friday to you all out there, and I hope you are looking forward to a great weekend ahead. But stay tuned for now, because we've got some more great stories coming up. We'll chat with the Akali Tahis team manager ahead of the Tongan Clash with Australia A, which will take place later today. We'll also look at what impact next week's FIFA Women's World Cup could have on football in our region. And we revisit PNG to hear how the newly formed Premier Soccer League is faring after somewhat of a, uh, a rocky start. Hold the front page. It's that time of the morning where we look at what's making headlines around the region, and to do that, I'm, I'm joined by Aggie Tupo, who has a has a break from uh, from presenting today, and who's in the uh, producing chair. Aggie, first of all, congratulations on a great first week uh, of presenting. How have you found it all? Yeah, good. Look, I appreciate all the help that I've been given this week. So you know, it's it has been good, and I know it'll get better. Yeah. Well, uh, put put your put your feet up today. I'll um, <laughs> I'll take things for the rest of the rest of today's show. Um, up first, though, we've got the uh, the twenty three twenty four national budget uh, that's been passed uh, in Parliament. That's in Fiji, I assume. Yes, that is in Fiji. Uh, so what that means is the bill will appropriate a sum of about three point seven six billion for the ordinary services of government for the year ending 31st of July 2024. Now, that has been approved. Uh, you've got education, health and pensioners who are going to see the biggest improvements. 
Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Finance, Professor Biman Prasad, stated in his delivery of the budget that uh, highest priority is an upgrade of $11.6 million for nurses' salaries and their overtime, and also the provision of additional positions will improve the service gaps. Uh, you've also got $45 million that's been allocated to continue the back-to-school support, and the education sector was given also the highest allocation, and a budget to a tune of $845 million. This includes the new Fijian scholarship scheme that will sponsor current students, at least over 10,000 new students with a total budget of $148.2 million. Also, for our pensioners there in Fiji, people at the age of 70 years and above uh, who are on social pension system will receive a 25% increase in allowances, while those between 65 to 69 years will receive a 15% increase. Uh, 29 MPs voted for the budget, while 24 voted against it. Oh, it's good to see it. Looking after those people in need, despite the uh, the challenges brought about yeah. by the, the debt and whatnot. Um, let's move on, where there's been pleas for more security at the at the upcoming Melanesian Arts and Cultural Festival. Yes, so this call for more security measures uh, for the upcoming MACFest, which is Melanesian Arts and Cultural Festival, has actually been made by Jenny Ligo. Uh, she is the chairman of the Vanuatu Women Against Crime and Corruption, uh, because MacFest is expected to see about 2,000 visitors between July 19th all the way to the 31st with multiple venues across the region. Again, she's calling on her own people of Vanuatu to uphold the law and exemplify the country's hospitality because, yes, we do realise there is a bit of a level of crime there that happens in Vanuatu. So I think her calling on the own, her own people makes sense. It's just, yeah. And uh, in speaking of Vanuatu, their greatest footballer has received a, uh, a national honour. Yeah, we stay in Vanuatu because football captain uh, and Central Coast Mariners star Brian Kaltek has been recognised by the national government. Now, he's received the National Honour Second Class Medal for his international and domestic success. Kaltek was part of the Mariners' A-League grand final victory against Melbourne City and is also the first Pacific player to win the biggest prize in Australian football. Uh, the president said Kaltek serves as a role model for aspiring athletes and a source of inspiration for the entire country. And even earlier this year, Kaltek extended his contract with the Central Coast Mariners right through to 2025. Yeah, and what a story it is. I guess the next challenge now is how can we get more uh, Vanuatu players over to you know, Australia and New Zealand to, uh, to show what they can do because yeah. they can obviously do a lot. How amazing would it be to see like Vanuatu in the in the World Cup? Absolutely, or, or something like that. Would love to see our Pacific nations in there. And I'm just going to quickly squeeze in. Uh, go Ikaletahi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big game today yeah. uh, against Australia. Eh? The 50th. Uh, anniversary since Tonga first beat Australia. When was it back 1979? in 1979? 1973. Three, there we go. That's Look why we're in media, because yeah. we're not very good at maths. So, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, Aggie, thank you very much for those stories today. No worries. That was Aggie Tupo joining me with News Wrap. In the Funny is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music. From across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Funny, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. 
Let's pivot to Rugby Union now, where, as you just heard, a sellout game will take place in Nukualofa today between Tonga and Australia A. The match will mark the 50th anniversary of the Akali Tahi's first victory over the Wallabies in 1973. It will also serve as a primary hit-out in preparation for the Rugby World Cup later this year. The ABC's Agitupo spoke with team manager of Tongan Rugby Union, Lano Fanua, to find out more. Uh, I think with COVID kind of you know over and the border open, uh, you know Tonga's kind of having a reconnection at the moment with family from overseas, and they've had you know Tonga High Anniversary Church Conference, Liahona Anniversary. These are big, massive, massive uh, events. So it's packed with people coming back for the first time in a couple of years, you know, which is quite a long time for a Tongan family from the union. The selling maybe sold out tickets is pretty close to being sold out, and Tongans are you know we're renowned last minute by the tickets, but um, it's not the case this. Time. So it's it's really buzzing. You know, when you look at the Ikaretahi team, looks pretty strong. You know, they've got old veterans like Malagai Fikitoa, Salis Piutau, uh, even Isleri Folau and George Moal. I mean, how mm. significant do you believe it is to have to have them be part of the team? Oh, it, it's amazing. I think, you know, if we look back at the last 10 years, I mean, look back at 2021, the COVID tour, we couldn't get our players. You know, we had to make a call out there for club players. It's no no disrespect to those boys who put the jersey on at the time. Some of these boys have decided to come, decided because they saw, you know, the passion that uh, those players played with. This would be the best Ikalitahi team and it includes a lot of the names that are now actually able to play for Tonga. So, yeah, it's really a dream come true. And every team's a whole new team, but I think this is, um, yeah, it's a weird special time with Tonga Rugby. Kind of cool that it's 100 years and, and we're seeing this come to fruition. And of course, these games are a preparation for the lead up to the World Cup. You're pretty confident that they are ready for the World Cup? Yeah, look, we got to play together and I think that's our plan, you know, to uh, to bring the boys in. One of the things with Tier 2, we just don't have that luxury of time and, and money to put together, you know, these long camps and preparation phase. So this is our preparation phase. We're going to be playing matches, but it's really building that connection. We've got three weeks. We'll be here in Tonga overall during this period so we can feed off that that excitement from the people and, and players have been happy to make that connection back to family and, and the roots here as well so it's, it's a homecoming for the Kalitahi and it, it's a great preparation for that World Cup but this, that's what this six weeks is really going to be about for us it's getting the getting that connection both combinations on the field but also just as a as a big as a unit so yeah we're looking forward to that yeah I mean look I'd love to know your thoughts on the future of Tongan rugby it's always bright you know I think with Tonga I think if you look at the um at the core there around I think big really Tongan values Tongan family values there and you look at the genetic talent that we have you know we're just blessed with with so many rugby players or athletes you know not just rugby you know you got netballers you got other sports um, the future is bright. We, we've got the schoolboys uh, rugby opening the curtain raiser tomorrow, for example, and, and, and just still so much talent there. No matter how, ma- how many seem to go overseas uh, to play professionally, there's another kid or another two kids coming through. So it's quite, you know, it's quite amazing for these guys. They, they can they could see, you know, it's probably another couple Easy for Lyles and uh, Salis Pirtaus running around in, in the school ranks here. So I think the future is always bright. I think we're... We're building. We've got to be a bit more patient. We've got well, not been, been more patient. We're very patient. I think mm-hmm. we've gone through a lot over the hundred years, and it's going to probably take a long time to keep building it because we don't have the resources. We've got to build it in a different way. So I think, um, yeah, we got, but we still have work to do. I think is long and short of it. Mm. Does that? And uh, what does that entail in the sense of, I suppose, maybe resources and money? Look, rugby is an expensive game, and if you're trying to run a professional team out of an island in the middle of nowhere, you've got huge costs. You know, we don't. We're not blessed with that side of things. 
things have been close to large markets and things. So I think, yeah, it's definitely going to take resources. I think the government of Tonga and, and World Rugby are doing their best. If we can have a fair crack at some of the, you know, tier one matches and, and access to those those larger games, you know, I would just go back to the that Tongan family values. I think that will hold us in good stead. We'll always be uh, on the right track as, as long as that continues. Last but not least, I have to ask this. What do you think the scoreline is going to be this weekend? <laughs> I'm excited. I don't want to jinx it. You know, look, I would say if if we could fit 100,000 people in that stadium, we would. Like, that's the number that I'm excited about. And But no, I think it's going to be a great game. The boys are pumped. We're just trying to hold them back, save them for, for tomorrow. So uh, I think we'll be, it'll be a really good match and the Australians have sent a strong team. So, yeah, I can't give you, I can't give you a score, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a win for Tonga. That was team manager of Tonga Rugby Union, Lana Fanua, speaking to the ABC's Aggie Tupo. Soccer now, where the spotlight will shine squarely on the Oceania region when the FIFA Women's Football World Cup kicks off across Australia and New Zealand next week. It will be the sixth appearance for the Oceania Football Confederation's representative nation, New Zealand, but the success of the football ferns might not be measured in wins and losses. The major event is expected to significantly raise the profile of football across the Pacific, and the OFC head of women's football, Emma Evans, says it could help pave the way for another Pacific team to one day qualify for the World Cup. We're all so incredibly proud of New Zealand. You know, first of all, the, the football ferns and, and the number of players that we now have in professional environments overseas, but also the inspiration that that brings to the rest of the Pacific. You know, one of our small countries has done it, and I guess that really motivates the, the rest of the Pacific as well to know that those opportunities are there We currently are working with a number of A-League teams on getting players over for scholarships as well. And I guess when they see the New Zealand players doing it and taking that as a first step, they know it's really achievable. So I think they already serve as a great source of inspiration. The New Zealand Women's Development Manager, Annalie Longo, has been to a number of World Cups already, but she works on a regular basis with our Women's Development Managers across the Pacific as well. So there's already a lot of sharing ideas and and discussions that take place but I think they truly are leading the way but it's really really exciting they're they're inspiring they're involved in the Pacific and I hope this gets the rest of the Pacific to realize that it doesn't just have to be a dream and, and they can work hard for it and make it into a reality. Yeah, so they've got Norway, the Philippines and Switzerland in their group. We were talking before, we, I don't believe they've ever actually gotten out of the group stage, but do you think it's possible to, to get a win against any of these nations? I think it's always possible to get a win. Um, being a New Zealander myself, maybe I, maybe that's the supporter in me, but I think you know the opening match a full stadium. It's going to be a tough game. The Norway have always been um, been a strong team in women's football. We know that. We know it's going to be tough in the first match, but I hope with the home crowd behind them especially, they're playing for so much more than, than just the game. You know, it's, it's a World Cup at home in front of their friends and family. Um, they never thought they would get this opportunity at home and, and it's here. So I think they know just how big of an opportunity it is. You've got a country like Philippines where it's their first time at the World Cup. New Zealand have been to a number of World Cups, so the experience is on their side there. And, and then I think the game in Switzerland, you know, 
women's football in Switzerland is is going up and up and they're getting more experience. So it's not going to be an easy pull for them. But I think the support of the home crowd, the fact that they've been together as a team for the first time, really preparing for this World Cup for a number of months now, definitely puts them in a good position here. Yeah, we saw last year PNG were really only a win away against Panama from potentially drawing a wild card qualification for the World Cup. Just having the game on our doorstep now, do you think it could potentially open the door for a second Oceania team down the track? And and if so, what do you think we've got to do to get there? Yeah, definitely. If I refer back again to the Women's Nations Cup in July last year, because New Zealand had automatically qualified as host, it was the first time where they weren't a part of this competition. And it meant that the other 10 member associations really were going head to head for for a spot at that playoff tournament to qualify for the World Cup. Obviously, PNG came out on top. They went to the playoff tournament. And I think that alone, you know, the experience of coming to New Zealand, of being in a high performance environment, having all the support wrapped around them. It was almost like a mini World Cup for them, you know, so it was already a step up in terms of the experience, the standards, what was expected of them. So I think that's really prepared them now for for what's next and they'll carry that with them. They'll go back into their environment in Papua New Guinea and and really try and influence change there. But I think what it's done is is made the whole Pacific realise that, hey, we do have an opportunity now. If this format continues It means each World Cup cycle, another team really does have a a genuine opportunity. And I think that gap is going to close. We're seeing a lot of work being done in the youth talent space now right across the Pacific with support from FIFA as well. So that gap will start closing. And if we get one spot at the World Cup with another spot as as a playoff tournament, everyone will be motivated. The level of investment, but also the changes to the local landscape will happen and and I think women's football is going to go from strength to strength. When I think back to the OFC Women's Champions League and, and even the OFC Men's Champions League in Vanuatu before that, I think the best thing was, like you said before, just how awesome that fan engagement was. I understand the OFC will be setting up a number of fan zones across the Pacific. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, fan zones for us are a hugely incredible opportunity here to raise the visibility of women's football. For the first time ever, the FIFA Women's World Cup is in our time zone for starters, but is also available to view right across the Pacific. And alongside FIFA, OFC are helping to support and bring these fan zones to life. Solomon Islands, for example, are expecting over 5,000 people to attend. So for us, it's an opportunity for, for men, women, boys, girls, for everyone to to see women's football at the highest level possible, to realise what opportunities there are in football. And hopefully that starts to change perceptions. You know, we'll get, we'll get the fans who love women's football already, but hopefully we get those ones who haven't had the opportunity to watch it before. And, and I really do think this will change the hearts and minds of, of so many people and will only aid in the, in the support that we want to see moving forward. That was the OFC's head of women's football, Emma Evans, speaking with me there. And New Zealand will kick off the tournament on Thursday against Norway. The Matildas, meanwhile, will begin their campaign on the same day against Ireland. To 
to regional soccer now, where a new era in Papua New Guinea has begun, with the revamped Premier Soccer League successfully kicking off despite numerous early challenges. Eight teams took to the field over the first two rounds of the tournament, which was at one stage at risk of starting with the bare minimum of only five. Lay City FC was, along the, was among the latecomers after initially withdrawing from the competition after their major sponsor, Lay Biscuit Company, pulled the pin on sponsorship. Regardless, the competition is up and running now. However, sports journalist and soccer commentator Jeremy Mogi says there's been some growing pains, one of which is the scheduling of games. Traditionally, Papua New Guinea has always been a difficult country to move around in. Logistically, traveling between districts and provinces has always proved challenging. But in terms of scheduling for for such a big high-profile tournament such as the National Soccer League or Premier Soccer League, I mean, these things also need to be taken into account. Taking, for example, that the women's are playing in conferences, whereas for the men's with only eight teams this time, they'll have to be the ones flying around. So does it place teams under additional pressure in terms of preparation? Yes. Can it be resolved? Yes, it can. And that'll depend on all two factors like proper scheduling, you know, as we made mention of, of these matches. And of course, ensuring that each of the respective teams that are taking part do have their own venues for the competition to occur. Yeah, it's it's on a home and away basis now, not on a conference basis. I guess there was always going to be challenges around that format. What about in terms of scheduling up against uh, sports like rugby league and things like that? Have, have fans being able to tune into both? In a country like Papua New Guinea, that's impossible. Even last night, the third um, Origin match that was on, the streets were empty. In terms of in terms of being a brand or a product, nothing can compare to to rugby league uh, in Papua New Guinea. For them to schedule for matches to be shown on either free-to-air, pay TV, live stream, etc., they need to pick a time that does not conflict with arguably PNG's number one sport. What times do you think they should be? One of the best finals that ever occurred uh, was a 2020 match between Vitias and uh, Lay City, and that happened at 7 p.m. on a Saturday. But to have that playable here in Papua New Guinea, only a handful of venues throughout the entire country are capable of hosting events after the sun's gone down. What can happen, though, see, right now, um, we've got the men's fixture happening on Sundays and also on uh, one stage I saw there was a Wednesday fixture that occurred. So, yes, you can pick those times in order for scheduling for television and your washout matches, but uh, Saturday is still prime time for football to be shown here in Papua New Guinea. So you'd suggest more uh, more of a midweek fixture, something like that? No, I am suggesting that the NSL focus that specific day, that Saturday, for the the best product that football has right now in this country, which is the Premier League. I see, I so, see. If, you, if, if your best product is pushed away from potential primetime viewership, and this is not competing with another sport, I'm talking about football itself, but if you're shifting the best product we have to ad hoc times rather than, say, on a Saturday, which is really the traditional time for it to be played, how then can you expect an audience, viewership, and spectators?
I want to move on for a second because last time we reported on this issue, the, the, the league was set to go ahead without the reigning champions, Lay City FC. However, they've been saved at, uh, at the last minute by no other than the, the Deputy Prime Minister, John Rosso. Can you quickly just take us through how all this played out? Well, I'll, I'll just be frank. All right. So the former, uh, the former owner of Lay City, he's fed up. He, he he's just been fed up, frustrated at the manner in which the competition has been managed over the past uh, few years. And for him, enough is enough. And I think that, and, and from what I'm seeing from the people that I'm talking to, the sentiment is the same. He pulled funding, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he stopped supporting the club. This has been his baby for the past decade or so. So, you know, giving, giving up on something like that is not an easy thing to do. Regardless, I guess, of how it happened, they did find themselves back in the competition. How have they gone since being back? Do they have the same team? Have they lost any players? Well, I know both um, come-alongs are struggling with injury, and that's always going to be a massive loss considering the quality that they've always had and the, the mentality that they bring in terms of professionalism and the approach that they have for how they play. And so with them not being a part of uh, this current setup, that will, of course, affect um, their progress throughout. But from what I've seen so far, Lay City are still premier soccer league is for them to lose. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that one pans out. That was sports journalist and soccer commentator there, Jeremy Mogi. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. Just recapping our top story quickly, we heard from the CEO of PNG's NRL bid, Andrew Hill, who told us about efforts to strengthen that bid in the coming week. A corporate dinner will be one of those ways. They'll be holding one of those to drum up some commercial support. Uh, that'll take place in the coming days, as well as the unveiling of a new youth academy. That'll be a, an especially exciting one. We'll do our best to get uh, uh, the head of that academy on the show next week. Um, as for us, we'll be back at the same time on Monday morning, that's 6am PNG time with presenter Aggie Tupo. You can also hear us again at 3pm this afternoon. Stay tuned on ABC Radio Australia though, because the news is next, followed by Nisha Daily. This has been the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat. I'm Kyle Evans. Thank you for joining me.